Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, welcome. I am in studio today, and uh, I am not breaking any of the uh, advice that comes from the government. I fullheartedly believe in it, but I get into my car at home. I come uh, in the garage here. I get into the elevator. I come upstairs. I don't see a single person come to the studio. There are plenty of wipes here. Everything has been wiped down. I have my hand sanitizer. I'm as safe here as, uh, as anywhere else. And um, I think it is a good thing to, to not put a total stop to everything that we're doing as long as you can do it. And also, I hope that there is uh, some importance to what it is that we do here on the radio so it is worthwhile uh, to come in. These are uh, pretty catastrophic times, and uh, I don't use that word loosely. Uh, this is going to be a catastrophe uh, economically. It's going to be a health catastrophe in um, in many, many ways. You have to remember that all of the conditions for which people normally seek medical care are still there. They haven't disappeared just because we are dealing with this virus. So uh, the burden that this puts on the healthcare system is, is going to be uh, very, very significant. Everyone, of course, is trying to do their best to get information out to, to you. But we have a lot more questions than uh, we have answers for. This is a, a virus. We don't know much about it. And uh, much of what we say is based on what we know about other viruses. And uh, this one is a lot more contagious than uh, the other coronaviruses. So there's something special about it. Eventually, there will be a vaccine because, of course, the technology for making vaccines is, is well known. However, it is not going to be overnight because even if the vaccine um, is successful uh, you know, in three, four months in the laboratory, it is going to need extensive testing. First, you have to do testing on animals. Then you have to do testing on, on small-scale humans. Then you have to do larger scale before you release this because, of course, you have to make absolutely sure you're not going from the frying pan into the fire so that you're not uh, putting out a vaccine that could potentially be dangerous. Of course, there are all the conspiracy theorists out there, the, the anti-vaxxers, uh, some of whom idiotically say that, that all of this was uh, cooked up by... Uh, Someone, uh, they mention all kinds of things. Bill Gates is one of these to call the population, or that so that they can come up with some vaccine and make lots of money on it. I mean, I, I don't even want to comment on these further because uh, they are just uh, so obscene. I know that you have a lot of questions, and we're going to try to answer some of them. I will have a very special guest on the show today, uh, Dr. Debbie Schwartz, and. Uh, I happen to know her relatively well, and I know that she's an excellent emergency doctor. She'll be with us uh, uh, after the uh, 3.15 uh, check of, uh, of traffic, and we'll try to answer a lot of your uh, questions. But there are already questions that have uh, come up, and uh, they've been texted in to 500800. Five, uh, uh, and uh, let me see what I can do with these. But first, let me just mention this morning, I did ask a question on the trivia show about the difference between a sanitizer and a disinfectant. <clears throat> now, often these terms are used interchangeably. Should not be. There's a definition for what a sanitizer is. 
It is a substance that specifically targets a bacterium and has the ability to destroy 99.99% of the bacteria on a surface. Sanitizers usually are uh, applied to food contact surfaces. When we use the term hand sanitizer, that is actually a misuse of that term. That should be a hand antiseptic. Antiseptics are substances that are applied to living tissue, like our hands. Sanitizers are applied to surfaces. So what is the difference between a sanitizer and a disinfectant? A disinfectant goes beyond bacteria. It can kill viruses, it can kill fungi 100% of the time. The only thing that uh, is not killed, either by a sanitizer or a disinfectant, are bacterial spores. In order to destroy those, you need to sterilize. You need a sterilizant. So antiseptics, um, sanitizers, disinfectants are not the same thing. And again, with sanitizer, if you look on the bottle, it will tell you what microbe it was designed to counter because there are different sanitizers out there. The hand sanitizer, as I said, should actually be called a hand antiseptic. And the active ingredient in there is alcohol. And you need at least 60% alcohol in order to uh, have any kind of uh, efficacy. Okay, some of the questions that have come up. Uh, here's an interesting one. Can flatulation transmit the coronavirus, although they use the term other than flatulation? And uh, believe it or not, there has been uh, some stuff written on this. It is extremely, extremely unlikely. Now, again, you know, one thing that I, I, I should uh, precede all my remarks is that these days it's almost impossible in the context of this coronavirus to say that something has zero probability in terms of transmission because we just don't know enough about it. However, with uh, uh, flatulation, it is very, very, very unlikely. Because remember that in order to uh, be infected, not only do the droplets that bear the virus have to make contact with your nose, uh, your eyes, or your mouth, but there has to be a significant enough viral load in there to do this. And that does not happen in flatulation. So uh, if you're bored at home, I think you can go around practicing that particular uh, uh, human activity and not worry about uh, transmitting disease like that. Now, what about feces? That's a bit of a different story because, of course, there you're dealing with a, a lot more matter. And um, uh, it is possible to have a virus in there. I mean, this has been found. You, but once again, what you have to remember is that it is not uh, critical to find the virus in some product or, or, or on, on some surface. The important thing is to find out whether it, from that surface it can get into your eyes, into your mouth, or in, into your nose. So even though there may be virus that is present in fecal matter, that doesn't mean that it can get into your uh, openings in any kind of a significant way. So I don't think flatulation or fecal matter should be one of our top worries. All right, well, what we're going to do now is uh, uh, check traffic, and uh, obviously there is not very much traffic uh, out there. And uh, after that, we're going to 
take a look at the medical side of this issue. I mean, you know, obviously I look at all of this from the chemical perspective, but we're going to look at the medical side of the issue uh, with Dr. Debbie Schwartz. So you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We're going to take a break here, check traffic, and we'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, we have a special guest. And uh, Dr. Debbie Schwartz is going to join us, and she's an emergency room physician, also practices family medicine. And I think I have, over the years, earned the right to call her Debbie. Hey, Debbie. (laughs) Hello. Okay, Uh, let's get down to... Can we call this the Dr. Joe and Dr. Debbie show now? Yes, we can. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we can. All right, Dr. Debbie is going to answer your medical questions. And uh, there are some questions that I have because I know that people are interested in this. Uh, Debbie is really on the front line, uh, emergency medicine, and uh, very often has to intubate people and has to work with ventilators and uh, various other machines like BiPAP. So I think it would be interesting for people to know exactly what that is about. So Debbie, what does it mean to intubate someone? Um, Okay, so I agree. I think that people maybe don't know a couple of the words that I had used on the show um, the other day. I realized afterwards that it becomes very, you know, usual for us to use. But so intubation means passing a tube through the patient's mouth. It passes through their vocal cords and then sits in the trachea. And so then that tube is then connected to a ventilator, which is also known as a respirator. And uh, intubation is a procedure that we generally do when a patient is having trouble breathing for themselves, if they're becoming too tired to breathe, or if they're swelling in their airways. It's also sometimes used as a technique to protect the airway if we give them medication um, to sedate them for a medical procedure. How difficult it is to put the tube in? Um, so it, it, it depends on the patient. There are definitely certain, uh, certain body habituses that make it more difficult to intubate. So somebody with a very short and thick neck, it becomes very difficult to see uh, the vocal cords. Um, but obviously, we do have techniques to make that easier for us. Um, so some intubations can be very easy, while others can be a little bit more difficult. Um, And specifically with regards to coronavirus, the recommendations that we have right now are to intubate using what's called a glide scope. Um, A glide scope is a pretty cool uh, technique because basically it's a screen and at the, you have your laryngoscope, which is the tool that we use to move the tongue out of the way. Um, And at the end of that laryngoscope, there's a camera. So you actually are looking at the screen to see where the vocal cords are, and you pass the tube while looking at the screen instead of in the patient's mouth. And we're, we're, it's being recommended to use this now instead of the more old-fashioned direct laryngoscope technique because you're, you're able to stay further away from the patient, minimizing your risk of contamination. So the ventilator then is attached to the other end of this tube. Exactly. And the important thing with, uh, in patients with coronavirus um, is that the ventilator needs to be hooked up immediately to the tube um, because as soon as the system is closed, 
fully, um, this minimizes the risk of the coronavirus being aerosolized into the air and contaminating the people in the room. So whereas normally we would use a bag valve mask, which is probably what you've seen on TV shows like ER, Grey's Anatomy, that bag um, with a mask at the end of it that you're, 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 you're using your hand to, to actually physically move air into the mouth. Um, that's actually contraindicated in these patients because that is another technique that aerosolizes the virus. Okay, by aerosol, we mean very, very small droplets of, of moisture, which can, of course, harbor bacteria, they can harbor viruses. And obviously, this puts you and everyone else at risk in the room while you're doing an intubation. So what protective equipment is being used? Yeah, so you probably hear the term PPE being thrown around a lot, which stands for personal protective equipment. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of different things that I think are important for everybody to understand. So typically the, the PPE that we use, that includes a gown, gloves, a mask, and also a visor, because it's important to note that the, the, the coronavirus can be also, it can contaminate you through your eyes and your nose. Um, so we use those uh, to protect ourselves. And when we are doing specific procedures that are called aerosolizing procedures, um, where we're basically shoving the virus out into the air in a procedure like intubation, that's when we have to wear the N95 mask as opposed to that flimsier surgical mask. Um, that you probably see a lot of people wearing outside. Although I have seen people wearing N95 masks out and about, and it's actually really upsetting to me um, because um, this mask is a mask that should be reserved solely for the use of healthcare professionals who need to take care of sick patients. You do not need these masks when you're out um, at all. Uh, this is not helping you at all. Um, you really only need to be wearing a mask if, when you're out if you're sick. And on a side note, you should not be outside anyways, regardless of being sick or not. Um, but the flimsy surgical mask is what's used when you're actively sick to prevent droplets from spreading when you cough and you sneeze. And talking about spreading and sneezing, etc. I mean, obviously, the recommendation by everyone now is to keep physical distancing. And that's the term we should be using, not social distancing, because you want to be in contact socially via the social media, telephone, whatever, with, with family and, and friends. But the physical distancing is, is really what is critical. And unfortunately, it is not being taken seriously enough by a lot of people here. And that is something that we need to address. But we do have to take a break. Uh, we'll be back with uh, Dr. Debbie and uh, listen to the news and uh, perhaps get to some of your questions. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Today I have with me Dr. Debbie Schwartz. She's an emergency room physician, also family practitioner. And uh, I... Daughter. Have Yes, I have a relationship with her. <laughs> okay, Dr. Debbie, I have a large number of questions it's that have been... my real claim to fame. Yes. <laughs> a large number of questions that have been texted in. Uh, prednisone, someone taking prednisone, does it uh, impair their immunity? Do they have to worry more about COVID? 
Uh, yes. So uh, prednisone or any kind of steroid uh, is an immune, immunosuppressant. So definitely that would be a concern. So somebody like that, I would absolutely recommend that they uh, stay at home. I mean, I'm recommending to everybody to stay home, but especially those people, 100%. Now, the staying home business, and uh, I know we've had reports that uh, even as recently as last night, uh, there have been weddings uh, held and people are just not paying attention to the stay at home. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Um, I also had heard that there was a wedding. I think it had t- taken place three days ago. I mean, well after the the uh, the ban on public gatherings had been made. And I just I think I want to take this opportunity to make it really clear to everybody that this is is not it's not a joke. This is not a choice. Um, you don't have the option of going above uh, what the government is telling you to do. Um, it is for your own good and for the good of your entire community. And I really do feel strongly that if if uh, people do get sick um, from this wedding, for example, um, that that illness and that eventual death, that will be on their shoulders. Um, I really do feel that way. I feel that this is something that we have the ability to prevent. And, you know, being a family doctor, my number one goal is prevention um, in primary care. And here is an excellent opportunity where we can prevent people from falling ill. Does taking an ACE inhibitor increase the risk of severe COVID outcome? There is some evidence that it does, um, but I think that a lot of the evidence still is very, it's very unclear. We're hearing uh, yes and no, you know, back to ibuprofen, there will be one study coming out that it, it, it can worsen the outcome of somebody with coronavirus, and then the next day you read a study that it doesn't. Um, so it's, it's very hard to stay on top of all of this. That's the problem with this is that there's just so much unknown, so much information coming, much of it unreliable. Uh, we're trying to give you the best. Can someone who had a gastric sleeve be into? Yes. Okay, that was simple enough. All right. Uh, we also have a couple of people on the line. Let's go to... Uh, Harry. I feel like I'm on a quiz show now. Yes, Harry. <laughs> Harry. Yes, good afternoon to you both. Many thanks to you, Professor Schwartz, for your many years of defending science honorably against the claims of pseudoscience. Now, my question for the medical doctor is about the coronavirus test. If I understood correctly, and it's more than likely I didn't, uh, the test uh, is for active replicating virus. Wouldn't it be more, wouldn't you get better information if you used an antibody that tested, you know, for the presence of antibodies in one's blood or uh, wouldn't you, wouldn't that be cheaper? Wouldn't you get better information? Well, I would say that the testing is actually more of the professor nature. Mm-hmm. So I will leave that up to Dr. Joe to answer. Okay. Well, I think FDA has just uh, come out with a, a new test, a 45-minute test, and it is exactly based on what you said. Ah. It is testing for antigen. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's not clear yet just um, 
what the risk of false negatives is. This is always the problem. And it's the test uh, with PCR as well, the classic test that is being used is false negatives and mm -hmm. also false positives. Right, Debbie? I mean, you can also get yeah, false exactly. positives. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that, that's why uh, um, the, right now it's thought that the testing asymptomatic people is not, not uh, of any help because there, there is a very high um, false negative rate. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, I think that the biggest, the, the biggest advice that, I mean, I think is that if you are sick, but you can manage at home, you know, you feel like you have a cold and I don't home, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to leave your house. You stay home. Um, that's what I think is what's really important. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the people who are really unwell um, who need to present themselves to the emergency and we can manage them there wearing mm -hmm. our PPE um, Right. Uh, the, the, the scary thing, though, about coronavirus is that it does tend to um, act very fast. Um, so people will be doing quite well, and um, it is quite a, a sudden deterioration. They tend to become extremely toxic, which means not enough oxygen, um, in a very quick fashion. Okay, let's go to, I think, Claire. Hi, Claire. Hi. Go ahead. Um, well, first of all, thank you for answering all these questions. Um, also, okay, I just wanted to ask quickly um, about, there have been a lot of people lately who've had shingles. And we know that this affects the immune system. And um, I'm wondering, like, what you suggest for people who've got shingles or who have recovered from it recently, um, uh, what they can do to build their immune system, how much risk do you think is involved? Debbie? Um, well, I think, I mean, shingles, shingles, you often get shingles when you are immunosuppressed, um, right. whether it is a physical stress or an emotional stress as well. Um, I don't think shingles is any different from, you know, any other, um, any other disease that you might have that might make you immunosuppressed. If you, if you actually have shingles, now, I mean, regardless, everyone should just be staying home is kind of the message that I'm trying to get across. Okay. So the fact that you had shingles at some point in your life, is that what you mean? Yeah, well, re well, recently, like I've there, it's about two months behind me, but I know, you know, there okay. are other people out there that have it and I've got a uh, low dose um, viral suppressants to take. Um, I'm trying to stay calm. I believe mine was um, probably from stress. Um, but I mean, I'm I feeling... think if you've had shingles two months ago, I, uh -huh. I would say that that, I mean, I would put, I would, I would classify you as having recovered from it as mm -hmm. long as you're not having persistent symptoms. No, um, no, but there was not. a lot of fatigue at one point and the nausea, but all that seems to have been gone. And then there was this lingering feeling like you're catching a cold all the time, but it never happened. Um, that's all gone now, but um, just just kind of in general, for because I know some people don't know if they feel like their um, immune system is like not strong enough, or if they can actually build it up regardless of what okay. they've just gone so, through. So I think I'll just clarify that when we talk about immunosuppression, we're right. talking about diseases that make somebody immunosuppressed, like diabetes, high yeah. blood pressure, cardiovascular disease. Someone may feel that their immune system is down because right. they're fatigued, um, yeah. for example, but that is not what we're talking about when we talk about immunosuppression. 
suppression with regards to being more susceptible to coronavirus. I think that across the line, really the message that I want to get across is stay home. Uh, there's no reason for you to be going out at this point. Um, it's really just essential services. If you can get food delivered, then have it delivered. Just don't put yourself, don't put yourself at risk. There's really no need right now. Um, okay. The only, yeah. Okay, but thanks, go, Claire. Like going we're going out. Going we're we're going to take for- a break. We're going to take a break. Okay, you're listening to the Dr. Debbie Show. We'll be right back. Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I have so many text messages, it's not possible to answer them all. <clears throat> but there is an alternative. Uh, been on Facebook all the time trying to answer your questions. So you can always email me, joel.schwartz at mcgill.ca, with your question. And uh, I'll answer it uh, directly as much as I can, and we'll also put it on, on Facebook. So you can find me on Facebook uh, at uh, Joe Schwartz. And uh, we're trying to keep up to date and putting out all the information uh, uh, there. Also, you can check our website, which is www.mcgill.ca slash OSS. We have a brand new feature there where physicians from many areas around uh, North America are going to put their comments about how they're dealing with the uh, situation. So you can check, uh, check that out, check the Facebook, and you can email me. Okay, Dr. Debbie. Uh, someone wants to know, my husband has to go for a CAT scan tonight. Should I cancel it? Uh, so depending on what it is for, I would counsel against ca- canceling all non-essential CT scans, lab tests. Basically, stay away from the hospital unless you absolutely have to go. And if he is uncertain, he should just contact his family doctor or whoever it is that ordered the CT scan and discuss it with them and see if it needs to be done on on an urgent basis. I'm borderline diabetic. Should I stay home from work? Uh, It depends what you do for for work. Obviously, my advice has been to stay home all along as much as you can. Um, I'm counseling my patients to stay home. Obviously, there are some people who are in essential services who cannot stay home or who do not have the luxury of staying home. Um, I must say I have taken a couple of people off of work because I felt that their risk was too high in the jobs that they are doing. Um, It's a difficult question to answer without more information. Going for a walk, not in a public gathering, just for fresh air. Is that a problem? Dr. Debbie, please answer. No, I would say that that is a great idea. I think it's really important for our morale to continue going outside, playing with the kids outside. Just this morning, we went for a walk with the dog. Uh, we played soccer on our streets with nobody else, just it was just us. I have no problems going for a bike ride as long as it is just your nuclear family and you are staying at a minimum of six feet away from other people. Um, I do not feel that this is a risk. I think that this may become prohibited in the future simply because people are not following the instructions of staying inside and not and, and social distancing themselves. The question is, did you let anyone pet the dog? Um, so this was not I, I I was not with the dog. I was actually um, I was actually helping a neighbor of mine. 
uh, who is sick, so was busy examining my patient. But while this was happening, I did notice out of the corner of my eye that my dog was seemed to be making out with another dog, um, which I wondered in the back of my head if that would be a problem and noted to myself, I better ask daddy that later. <laughs> I think that daddy says that that's okay. Let, 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 let Samson have his fun. Yeah, poor Samson. <laughs> All of this came up because my other daughter, who lives in Toronto, who's an occupational therapist, has a dog, Henry, and Henry is a real babe magnet, and she's <laughs> she's she's worried about people touching the dog and then the dog bringing uh, uh, the virus back home. I I I think that you know you cannot rule it out totally, but I think that that is a bit of uh, excessive uh, worrying. All Although right. So I have, I have yeah. just been notified by my husband to clarify that nobody is to touch Samson <laughs> and that nobody was touching Samson. All right. So Samson is is clean. Let's let's go to Jacob. Jacob. Yes. Hello. Um, can you tell me what's the more likely uh, thing to occur: the virus entering through your nose and mouth, or through your eyes? Good question. Good question. I, I don't know if anyone has ever looked at that or how you would look at that. Well, uh, I mean, you, you normally inhale through your nose and mouth, so the air is more likely. To yeah, it's more likely. I, I, would, I would think the nose and the mouth are more likely. I would think so. Yeah, but but uh, wear, wear glasses. If you have glasses, here's a great opportunity to show off your stylish glasses. Uh, as long as they fit we're completely flush against your face, right? We're joking, Jacob. We're joke joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to. Uh, is that Louise? Louise. Anyway, Louise wanted to know Advil versus Tylenol. What's the story? And of course, we've been over this uh, many times. The information about uh, avoiding uh, the nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories is is uh, pretty soft data. However, if Tylenol can do the job, uh, probably at this point, if it's a question of fever and pain, go Tylenol. Would you agree? Exactly. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, also, I think we have to mention something about the frenzy that is going on uh, with uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. These are drugs that were first developed uh, for malaria and then later used for autoimmune diseases like lupus and, and rheumatoid arthritis, for which they work. They have a pretty good safety profile because they've been uh, in use for decades and, and decades. And there is some very, 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 very preliminary evidence from a very small study in France uh, that there may be some efficacy to this. But unfortunately, people are, are asking their physicians to prescribe this prophylactically. And of course, yeah. doctors can't do this because you can prescribe it off-label. As long as it's out there and it's approved, you can prescribe it for whatever you want. Have you have you had any contact with people who were asking for this? So nobody has asked me that yet, but I will note that our excellent pharmacist at our clinic has already preemptively sent us out an email stating that this is something that cannot be done and that no community pharmacist will dispense um, the medication uh, for these reasons. There are trials underway, as of course there should be, because the only way that you can know whether or not it has an efficacy is to do a proper randomized trial with a control group. Now, of course, because of the direness of the situation, some of these trials can be speeded up and uh, may not be as rigorously controlled as one would like to have. 
but still you need to have some control. And you need to go on more than just a hunch, which is what uh, President Trump was saying at his press conference. After telling us that he was a smart man, he said that uh, uh, his hunch is that this drug is going to work very, very well. And uh, Dr. Fauci, who was uh, standing behind him, I don't know how he kept his eyes from rolling, uh, then came on and said that, no, this really was not like that, that we have to do the proper trials. So let's wait and see. Also, there are all kinds of stories com coming from China that there are secret remedies that they are withholding. This is all, all nonsense. So what we can do for now is the physical distancing. And this is what, uh, of course, Debbie is encouraging all her uh, patients uh, to do and everyone else to do as well. So, uh, Debbie, when is the next shift? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So uh, we'll hear from you. We'll put your comments on our um, on our website. And that's it. We have run out of time. And uh, I think most of you will agree that the money that was spent on Debbie's medical education was well spent. <laughs> so, Debbie, thanks a lot. And, thanks for having me. Okay. And that's it. We're smack out of time. Remember that uh, I try to answer all your questions on Facebook. Email me at joe.schwartz.mcgill.ca. Check out our website, mcgill.ca slash OSS. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping that, boy, do I ever hope that all the right chemistry, that the chemistry in your life comes out just right. <laughs>